New York Update. We are online at nyupdate.org. I'm Jake Jacobs, a New York City school teacher. I talk about education and New York State politics. And uh, last week we covered the state testing debacle. We covered the matter of the crashing system and the parents opting out of the third to eighth grade tests. We did get some estimates in on Long Island. It looks like it's about 46% opt-out rate, which is still very high. Uh, We did hear from the commissioner of education, the state commissioner, Commissioner Mary Ellen Elia, and she spoke to Susan Arbeter up in Albany on WCNY. She said that there's going to be more changes to the testing from year to year to year. So if you're expecting anything to be standardized or normalized, that's not happening. She also expects to transition to all online testing so that the last two years of crashing that happened to everybody else could could be happening to 100% of the kids. They say that because the crashing was so bad that it kind of put Mary Ellen Ilya in a weak position and she was forced by the Chancellor of the Board of Regents Betty Rosa to issue a statement saying for the first time that all parents have the right to opt out of standardized tests. They never before put that so explicitly and so concretely in writing before and that left it to superintendents and principals and districts to play games. Up until two weeks ago parents weren't sure if they had the right to opt out. Some parents thought they needed to get a lawyer. Some parents thought they needed to come in and request it in writing and all this stuff. So that's it. So that was that was the big change that came out of the, the big crash. There's a lot more complaints about the testing, the untimed test, how long it takes, and the usual questions about the test being developmentally appropriate for all kinds of learners. And so stay tuned for more of that. I have an article coming out probably tomorrow in The Progressive, and if you want to read more on that, keep an eye out on at progressive.org. The other big thing that happened is that Bernie Sanders reached out to Diane Rabich. Diane Rabich told his uh, education expert or his uh, education liaison that she's not endorsing anybody yet. But they had an interesting talk, and she posted about it with permission online. Bernie Sanders did just release a new education statement, and it had his usual expansion of pre-K and free college tuition that we're all familiar with. But he explicitly states now uh, that we need to get rid of standardized testing, high-stakes standardized testing, and that we have to make sure that charter schools serve the needs of disadvantaged children. So there's a little bit of nuance there. To me, that sounds like the NAACP moratorium on charter schools. I'm sure somebody will ask him at some point about that. So Kamala Harris, uh, Senator Warren, Pete Buttigieg, Jay Inslee, Kirsten Gillibrand, Beto O'Rourke, everybody else, it's time to up your game. Education is getting into the campaign. And it's about time. So if people want to go online and read about that, go to dianeravich.net. And it's one of her latest blog posts. Um, Our last headline is going to be about the New York Post. The New York Post got it wrong yet again. What else is new? They 
posted an article about Governor Cuomo. True, he did just announce that he wants a new law that's going to expand the cap on charter schools around the state. We are already at the cap, so there can't op- there can't be any more new charter schools in New York State unless there's legislation. And Governor Cuomo is now asking legislators to uh, sign on to his bill to open up the cap to create more charter schools. What the Post got wrong is that in the last election, in the 2018 elections, they said that six pro-charter New York senators were voted out and replaced by anti-charter senators. It it was actually 10 pro-charter New York state senators that were replaced. They apparently were only counting the IDC members, which are Democrats, but there was at least four more Republicans who are pro-charter that were also replaced by anti-charter legislators. And so Cuomo might have a tough time. The state Senate has only 62 members, and, you know, it was kind of close before, and then you add 10 anti-charter senators to that mix. I don't see it. And then when you also add to the fact that the Speaker of the Assembly, Carl Hasty, was also anti-charter. Uh, he blocked uh, new charters and opening up the cap in the last session. So uh, it didn't come up at all this session. I can't even name one uh, outspoken pro-charter state senator at this point because it seems like after the last election it's in retreat. But there is an assembly member, Marcus Crespo from the Bronx, who's actually the head of the Bronx Democratic Committee. And he is pro-charter He wants to make the case for charters on the floor of the assembly, so that ought to be interesting. But it's important to note that Marcus Crespo takes a lot of money from charter PACs. And so that's out there on Twitter, and everybody kind of knows where he's coming from. So now we're going to get to the interview we spoke about last week. We're going to meet with a candidate for office here in Rockland County. We're here with Shenley Vital. Great to meet you. I know that you're in my ward here in the town of Clarkstown, Ward 3. So this is a position on the Clarkstown Town Council, Ward 3. And it has taken me so long to learn all this stuff. But... Tell us who you are. Sure. So thanks, Jake, for having me on. I really appreciate the opportunity to address your viewers. Uh, As you said, my name is Shenley Vitel. I'm running for Clarkstown Town Council, Ward 3. That includes Central Nyack, West Nyack, and parts of Nanuet. A little bit about myself. Lifelong Clarkstown resident. I live in Central Nyack, a beautiful hamlet uh, just to the north of the village of Nyack. I went to school, studied economics, got a law degree, came back home, and now I'm a practicing attorney. I've worked for large banks uh, in the early part of my career, and now I focus my practice on helping people who are facing collection, uh, you're thinking of debt collectors, mortgage services companies, Hmm. um, really just trying to give back to the community. Uh, I was so fortunate to receive so much, many helping hands along the way. And uh, it feels good to give back and, you know, make a little bit of a living for myself Right, I'm <laughs> you know, sure at the same time. I was going to say, it sounds like it's not as lucrative as the banking uh, sector, but, you know, maybe if there's a heaven up there. <laughs> yeah, certainly. I like to say I atoned for my sins. I was, <laughs> I was making the banks money and I was really helping them with their policies. But in, in all honesty, you know, you carve out a living, you do it for the right reasons and... Uh, good work-life balance, and it feels good to you know wake up every day loving what you do, and that, that was really my motivation. So now you're kind of stepping into a new arena, 
and you know running for town council here in Clarkstown. I also learned that, and you'll correct me if I get something wrong. Uh, I also learned that we have a Republican majority on our town council, right? That's um, right. And your opponent is one of the Republicans. I, I know we have one Democrat, Pat Carroll, That's right. and there's three other Republicans in the other wards, and then at the top there's the town supervisor, George Holman, who is also a Republican. So we're, we're outnumbered, us Democrats. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your opponent, a little bit about the race, and how did you just get out of your you know, day-to-day? Sure, and, sure. Yeah. Absolutely. So I'll tell you how I got thrusted into this race. Like I said, I'm not a politician, just the normal family guy. I'm an attorney. Uh, what happened was uh, in my town, Central Nyack, there's a part of it that butts up against the village of Nyack. Uh, it's a little small section that's very apart from the village of Nyack. And there was a developer that was looking to put affordable housing. Affordable housing. Af- low-income housing. Right. Excuse me, low-income housing at that point where Central Nyack meets this little slither of, uh, of the village of Nyack. And I went to a meeting just on a whim, and I kind of learned about the issues. And I was surprised to find out that uh, the village of Nyack was looking to put additional low-income housing. Already in that area, mm-hmm. uh, there's over 100-plus low-income housing units. And okay. I want to be clear that I'm not against low-income housing. However, what I felt was Central Nyack had enough low-income right. housing. Why are they putting it where it already is Ex- instead of putting exactly. it where there could be some? Yeah, certainly. And when you think of the village of Nyack, the village of Nyack is a great place. Uh, it has the resources, it has the diversity, and has the infrastructure to care for uh, some of those more at-need communities. And to see additional low-income housing being placed in Central Nyack, a place where there was traditionally black and brown home ownership, a place where uh, there was already existing low-income housing, it seemed as if there was almost a... Uh, uh, a ghetto that was being formed. Right. So a lot of the community members who've lived here for many years, generational community members, got together at the lo- local civics association. Uh, we kicked around the ideas, and in a very organic way, a coalition formed. Uh, we attended meetings. We put pressure on the village of Nyack, and ultimately, after a lot of effort, after a lot of just coming together as community members, we were able to push back on that development. And um, towards the end of February, early March, I received a call while I was vacationing with my family. And uh, someone from the Democratic Committee told me that uh, they heard some good things about me. And I was happy to hear that they had heard some good things. And they asked me uh, if I was interested in running. And I asked about the position. And when I heard what it entailed, and it was representing Central Nye, representing my community, I said, absolutely. I I was honored that you know, my fellow residents, my peers, uh, thought highly enough of me that they wanted me to be their leader. They wanted me to kind of be their voice. And uh, it was a no-brainer for me. And that's what thrusted me into the race. And, mm-hmm. I'm, and I'm glad to have secured the Democratic nomination. A little bit about my opponent. I'm running against Don Franchino. Okay. Uh, he actually at one point received the Democratic nomination oh, in a boy. very weird and local politics yeah. kind of way. If nobody else is running, they... they yeah, and, and there's there's a lot to kind of unpack with just that, but I won't even go there. Yeah. But now we've got a real Democrat. The distinctions between Don Franchino and I are pretty clear. 
I'm for sustainable development. I'm for people-oriented government. I'm for transparency. Uh, much like with the uh, low-income development, which kind of thrusted me in the race. I believe if you give people information, I believe if you give them an opportunity to express their opinions, uh, they'll make the right decisions. So m mine is more about transparency, sustainable development, and uh, representation, which is I think is a very big issue as well. Uh, I had the opportunity to sit on many village board meetings, uh, many town board meetings in Clarkstown, and it looks like a very monolithic group of yeah. you know old white men under the radar right and most people have no idea what goes on it's all decided it's all preordained absolutely there's executive committee and then they come out and they just make it all official some people there can't even get called on for or, uh, for a motion right yeah so and you know it's at the end of the day people are working hard Right, they're working uh, nine to fives. Really, are seven to sevens when you consider the commute. Rockland County is a commuter county, so it's one thing to go to a meeting. Even when you're even at the meeting, are you aware of the issues right. that kind of gave life to the meeting? And then a lot of people can't even make it to the meeting. So bringing transparency in a very simple way to government is something that I'm going to make a main focus if elected. You know, one of the jobs that I did when I was in law school, I interned for the state legislature. Okay. And in that capacity, when I was in Albany, I basically took the comp complicated legislation, different bills that were on the floor, and I basically distilled them. I uh, the made language. them very simple yeah. so that you know, my 10-year-old could read it and say, I get it. Right. And that's really what government officials should really do for the people. It has to be translated is, is to English. Give it, yeah, <laughs> in English. Just, you know, meat and potatoes. What is it? What's in it for me? Right. With this particular development, I'll go back to it. Increase taxes, creating somewhat of a ghetto or a monolithic demographic of just low-income people. Over-concentration. Uh, low water pressure, potentially more loitering. Positives. This this area that could use some development is going to look nicer by some people's accounts. Right. You give people those choices, they'll make the right decision in their interests, which will ultimately be in the interest of the community. So it's that type of transparency and distilling of the issues for the for the uh, community and for my constituents is that's one of the main things I really hope to bring to uh, Shenley Vital candidacy. and Okay. Certainly. Well, you actually answered a, a few questions that I didn't even get to ask. Oh. Because, <laughs> because, well, I wanted to know, like, what are the big issues? How do you bring this to people? Because, you know, most people are going to go into that voting booth and just see a name. And, you know, some people just reflexively vote for the party. But a lot of times they will cross over. You know, we're in an area where there's a lot of potential for, for, for voters to swing you, over. You know, when I was getting petitions... Um, I was knocking on doors, and sometimes you're not really sure if it's a Democrat or Republican. Sometimes they make it simple where it's like, I know I'm knocking on a Democrat's door. But I had an opportunity, and I knocked on a Republican's door. And I said, hey, let me see. Maybe there is someone in there. We weren't really sure. And when I got to the door, I had a conversation. I introduced myself. I let them know uh, that I was uh, the Democratic nominee, and I was looking to get some signatures. And I wanted to know, first and foremost, what were the issues that mattered to her? And, you know, five minutes became ten, and I realized that the issues that mattered to this woman who happened to have an R next to her name were very similar to the neighbor who had a D right. and to the person down the street. Because most people just want value. They right. want to know that their tax dollars are being used responsibly. 
They want to know that their elected officials are doing what they say they're doing, mm -hmm. and they're basically serving them. And that's really what a politician, that's really what public service is about. It's about serving the people. And I think when you talk about the issues that matter to people, when you talk about using their tax dollars, when you talk about transparency, when it comes to the use of their tax dollars, when you talk about uh, the lack of representation and the, and the diversity of opinions and ideas that would come with additional, more inclusive representation, when you talk about uh, bringing transparency to development and giving people an opportunity to decide how their community should be developed and giving them an avenue for them to participate mm -hmm. in the shaping of their communities, then I think regardless if you're a D, an R, an I, or any other potential <laughs> classification, you're going to meet people at where they stand, and then you're going to find someone who will say, you know what, I've never voted D, but I kind of like what you're saying. And, and yeah. that's really what I hope to do uh, with this campaign is just reach out to many people as possible, let them know who I am, find out who they are, and have a conversation much like what we're having. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I mean, at, at, at the town council level, the portfolio is not that complicated, right? There's certain. only, there's only going to be a certain matter of things, and it's very much, you know, local day to day things. You know, nobody's going to ask you how you feel about the border wall in Mexico, and you know, no one's going to ask how you feel about the Israel-Palestinian conflict, right? You don't have to get into those waters one way or the other. It's a clean, a clean slate in many ways if you're just getting into politics for the first time, which is a good thing, you know, because the people that have been around for a while, oh yeah, you know, maybe, absolutely. Maybe there's some questions about they're just in in like a career thing, you know, they're not really out to help people. They're just making it a, a lifestyle. And people are very, people are very, I would say, shy, you know, they're very untrusting, maybe they're very suspicious nowadays because it was only maybe 20 years ago that this whole mall thing, 25 years ago is it, that yeah, this whole mall thing happened, and you know, talk about no transparency, talk about, you know, your elected officials serving some other agenda, and then, you know, you find out when it's all too late. Yeah, there are a lot of things, a lot of things that really excite me. One, you know, the town council position, I think you hit the nail on the head. It really is a position that doesn't have a very expansive list of responsibilities. The issues that I'll touch if elected aren't very there aren't many issues, right? You you could vote on some of the issues affecting um, appropriations and how money is going to be spent, different different resolutions, bonds that may come before, and you know to to everyone that's listening, you know to the voters, I'll vote responsibility, I'll vote responsibly, I'll vote uh, with people first over developers. But I think the way I would look at this position is a little differently, right? I see it as an opportunity to be a leader. I see leadership in that position. So although there'll be that appropriations, that very specific set of tasks that I'll be charged with doing if elected, I, even with my candidacy, candidacy have now accepted a role as a leader for my community and for my broader community. So when there are issues that may not come across my desk as a councilman, people still look to leaders right. to guide them on some of the larger issues that kind of affect maybe you more of the right. national <laughs> yeah if more of a national thing and I and I look forward and I accept that responsibility because at the end of the day I'm just a regular person I'm not defined by my democratic voting title 
I'm defined by the issues that affect my family and my community. And I think if you're to poll the overwhelming majority of people, that's really what they care about. They care about education. They care about uh, wages that have been stagnant for a very long time. They care about their taxes when we're thinking more locally in and around Clarkstown. We're one of the highest tax municipalities in the country. Forget about in New York State and within this region. So how can we talk about those issues that affect everyone? Because if how do we talk about what future we're going to leave our kids in a responsible way, what leader is going to really step forward and address the elephants in the room. And I'm prepared to do that because I don't see politics. I don't see this council position as a means to an end. I don't see it as this is going to be where I'm going to find my niche and I'm going to retire just going from right. one political office Easy to street. the other. <laughs> I, I was selected by the people. Right. And I think if we look at politicians more in that vein and we're saying we should be more weary of the politician that's desiring to be a politician mm -hmm. and we should look for who the people want i think we do what our founding father really kind of talk about going back way far a long time ago george washington didn't want to be right. it was the people who said hey we need you right. He's the man. and not everyone could be george washington i don't pretend that i am george washington i think i'm a little more handsome <laughs> <laughs> but it's it's why are we going into politics? Are we going into it to make a career for ourselves? Or are we going in because we think we have ideas? Do we think that uh, we could provide better leadership? We could provide better stewardship? Mm -hmm. Because um, I think when having children, young children, and then seeing the dysfunction of politics, seeing the promises by D's and R's that have not been met with results, that should thrust every considerate person into being a more thoughtful voter and should take a lot of people who are sitting on the sidelines to be more active in their community so that they can really affect the change that their community really uh, so desperately needs if we're going to leave a um, leave anything worth having for our children and for the young people. So yeah, one of the issues that's going to be prominent in the 2020 races, I know we're talking about a November 2019 race, but I mean, let's face it, we're already in campaign mode for, you know, not just not just president, you know, everybody that you know, the House is up. A lot of senators are up. You know, they, they're going to try and flip the Senate. I'd like to hear your thoughts, how these things filter down to a to a hyper-local community. Something like the environmental question. On the national level, they're talking about the Green New Deal, and they're talking about, you know, radically overhauling our energy system so that we really immediately phase out all fossil fuels, you know, all combustion engines. I mean, you know... I know that will take time, but like, you know, to number one, not build any new carbon-based infrastructure to really aggressively invest in renewables, that is something that might come across the town council. And in fact, I think uh, George Homan, the one time I did speak to him, I had some questions about the solar field that Clarkstown put in. I've never seen it. But I heard that we put in a solar field, and I had a ton of questions because I got solar on my house in 2012, and I never regretted it. I wish I would have done it earlier. I asked him what the deal was, like what the format was, because he didn't want to do something where he had to raise revenue for this. So he got the solar farm or the solar array, whatever you call it, um, financed by the company. And so it's one of those agreements where they... Put your put the panels up for you, but with that, 
the energy company gets a lot a of lot the benefit of, the energy of it. Early on. And so I was asking him a few questions about that. And you know, it's and um, I know when they offered us residential solar, there was a no cost option. They said you won't pay a dime. We're going to put the stuff up on your roof, and what what happens for you is that they'll reduce your rate that you're paying now. They'll take your average, like three year average, and they'll uh, reduce it by like twenty percent, and then they'll lock you in for twenty five years. And that was like, wow, that's a great deal for no money down. But it's obviously better, you know, that they're making something too, you know, and it's, it's, it's a win-win, but you know, how about if we bought the solar panels? Or in our case, we had a 25-year lease, you know, so we brought our electric bill from about 120 a month down to about 20 a month, where it's been ever since. And I don't know. I guess we I, we might have we might have started paying it off uh, like fully by now. If not, it'll be like another year or two. And then after that, maybe we get another 10, 15, 20 years. I don't know. You know, we'll see. But same thing goes for the town, right? And you know, maybe if if they if they could have raised the money, you know, to 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 buy them outright, it would have been a much bigger benefit. And so those are the sure. kind of, those are the kind of things. You know, I don't, I haven't heard of anybody else in Rockland County um, doing solar. You know, and I did I do hear. I heard that presentation about Ulster County, all the stuff that they do, and it's like we're not doing anything compared to them, right? I mean, they're really going sure. for it. They, you know, they reduce, they replace all their vehicle. You know, they're in the they're in the transition to all of their vehicles to electric and everything. So, um, how do you feel? I mean, I know, I know you probably, you know, want the planet, you know, to you know to hand down a great planet to our next generation and everything. But what are the nuances of you know of what you might do? You know, um, in the in the Ward Three position, you know, maybe shaking things up or you know bringing new attention. I mean, you know. absolutely, and that kind of goes to um, how the position could be more than just the scope that most people would probably define it as. When you have the microphone, when you have a position where you could speak about um, things and proposals that are part of the Green New Deal, some of what my candidacy. I'm a young person. I think I'm still young. Um, and certainly my perspective is it's it's a bold plan. That's what the Green New Deal is. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it's our moonshot. It's our, it's our big issue that's facing our generation. So any young person or any person who puts forth a plan that has the audacity to hope for something better, I think that should not be discouraged. That should be something that's encouraged. And as far as what we can do locally... You know, something as simple as like what you said. It's about how we prioritize those monies. And as a council person, we can prioritize uh, the funding and how we use some of those monies that were part of the reserve fund or whatever funds towards, okay, let's make an investment in energy as opposed to a new mobile entertainment station that costs 70 grand. It's like when we're thinking about what will provide the most value to people? Is it this mobile entertainment vehicle that costs seventy thousand dollars? I sat in on a Did board. Did we really do that? No, I sat in on a board <laughs> meeting, and there was uh, I a guess proposal. I no, we we approved it. Oh, we did. It was okay. a cl- it was a uh, it's a pretty snazzy thing. I imagine when it's out there for parades, it's okay. like this big retrofitted vehicle that has a big screen TV, and then if you have a parade, and you know that's something nice. If I was at a parade and there was like a big screen, and there was my, I'm sure my kids would take. Right. A lot of like, oh, that's cool, Daddy. Can I right. ride that? But you know, a lot of the things that my kids want, I don't 
necessarily like, capitulate to it and say, hey, you can have that bowl of candy Shame for dinner. Yeah. You know, and that's <laughs> where, you know, if you have responsible leadership and say, this would be something good, but have we prioritized the things that matter, the things that uh, are going to help us and usher us into a uh, more sustainable, a better future and putting solar panels on all the town buildings. That's a real goal that we could set. We have a lot of town lands that are owned by the town and even the county when you want to think about it just a little bit broader but even within the town uh, right there in New City we have the police building we have a couple of the courthouses uh, we have the town hall those should all have solar panels on there uh, we should have uh, the charging stations right. in those areas also again leadership by example yeah. the more and more you introduce things the more and more it seems more real. If I saw a plethora of those electronics charging stations in and around my community, the idea of going solar versus you know traditional combustion wouldn't necessarily be as great of a leap. And that's what leadership, right. again, is about. It's about leading by example and not necessarily waiting to be the last person and then kind of falling in line. You know, even this, this might be a little bit different. Rockland County... Clarkstown, we're commuters. We commute all the time to Westchester, to New York City. Right. Think about all back that stuff that's going back and forth, <laughs> back and forth. What are we doing to create jobs, good jobs in Rockland? Right? We have the infrastructure. We have that big bridge that we just built. We're, our housing is being developed in a very rapid way. What are we doing to attract and develop those businesses? Let's bring incubators. Let's. Why can't we have a little uh, sub- Silicon Valley type things where we're having you know kids doing drones and coming up with the next big idea and technology. There's no reason why Clarkstown, one of the best places to live with some of the best uh, education, some of the best schools in the country, there's no reason why we can't tap into some of those uh, young people's skills, their innovation, and their desire for something different to bring sustainable jobs here. I think those are some of the ideas that when you look at the national, there's no reason why with the right vision and leadership, we can't do those things uh, right here in Clarkstown. And some of what I hope to do is to talk to the people about that uh, in a way that is not just what if, what if, but here's how we could do it. Here's how it's going to cost. And here's what we expect will be the value add for you. And that's really how I hope to uh, phrase and um, and frame all the issues that I bring to the voters is here's the value add for you, here's how we should do it, and here's why, and then let the voters decide. Because ultimately um, we're here to serve the people. And, I, and again, like I said, I put my vote and I put my trust in the people that ultimately they will do the right thing. And I'm very confident that once they have the right leadership, we can usher in a new day in Clarkstown. Right, yeah. I mean, I think part of our area, our ward, is the Pfizer facility, is that right? Right there? I believe so, yeah. Yeah, and that seems, I mean, I think that's massively underused right now. I pass by, and I always see this big empty parking lot. So one of the things that um, was covered in this environmental forum that Ulster County spoke about, and a lot of other people spoke about too, was taking these big parking lots and putting, yeah, putting the solar carports on there. Sure. So that it's better than it was before, but you're also getting free energy 
I mean, you know, once the once the equipment is paid down, I mean, you know, long term it is f- a lot of free, clean energy. Short term, you know, there's an investment and a build out. But we pass by those parking lots, and it's just a bunch of cars sitting there baking in the sun. Absolutely, it's awful, right? And so, mm-hmm. you know, it's a no-brainer. I know they have those charging stations, which are solar panel, and then they connect to a thing where you can just drive up and hook up. And I know I I did see that New York City ordered 49 of them. 49. Uh, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, you know, Rockland, can we get like one? You know, can yeah. we, you know, just so like people can see it and like understand, develop these these areas. There's a lot of um, old I schools mean, also. Rockland County Day School. Yeah, That's I mean, but sitting there. Uh, maybe you can mention some others too that I don't know about. I know that if you want to attract people from other areas and you want to attract young people, like maybe in from the city and stuff, you know, you got to have something like they have. I mean, Garnerville, right? You have these loft artist studio spaces right yeah you can run a business but maybe you have like some storage and maybe you have like a dance studio or a mu- uh, musical studio you can do all those kind of things and, and combine all of the you know the elements that that attract somebody and there's a the hip factor too right like Absolutely. there's a there's a craft brewery there there's you know there's a lot of interesting uh, restaurants you know that that come up around that area now so it is a great community very very close to the city i mean commutable to the city right but you know why should somebody have to commute to the city i mean i go to the bronx every day and back so i know you know it's like yeah my commute is like 37 minutes on the way there but on the way back it's like an hour 15 and that just tells you like i'm sitting in traffic like something's wrong with this equation sure right? it's <laughs> what, what are we doing to attract those people you know where where would those young people live those those innovators those people who want to developer brewery, the creatives, right? One of the issues that I think is very important is transparency with development. You know, I do, I dibble and dabble in real estate as an attorney, and so much when I look at uh, the development and, and the master plans throughout the county and, and in, in Clarkstown, they focus very heavily on senior citizen mm. housing, which is great. We have to take care of our seniors, yeah. but and we have to take care of the low-income people. Well, what are we doing for the peop- someone who just started a family, uh, the person who just graduated makes about sixty grand a year, uh, someone who has twenty grand saved up and they want to start a business but they can't afford to live in their communities. Uh, one of the things that I think uh, we need to do is present a plan whereby we're developing housing for for people who are making that sixty five to about eighty five that workforce housing. Right. We re- we really have a deficiency. Uh, here in the village of Nyack and certainly within Clarkstown. So I think um, as a councilman, that's something that I would want to prioritize because young people uh, are underrepresented on the board. That's one of the issues that I'm yeah. running for is about representation. So it's no surprise when you have a board that's that consists of mostly elderly men that they wouldn't be thinking about, hey, what is that young 25 or 32-year-old uh, going to be living? They can't right. afford the rent and they certainly can't afford a down payment. So basically they're priced out and they're forced to move. So we need a comprehensive plan, both public and private, that's gonna allow private people to put a modest amount and have the ability to own. And I have a plan that I look forward to sharing uh, with uh, the constituents about how we can get that done. And again, this just really comes with understanding the issues and understanding and being able to connect with that particular segment and providing them value again. Uh, so I think that's that's going to be a really big thing to help us grow this community the right way. 
Right. Another thing that is a state issue that could come to become very local is the legalization issue. It did not make it into the the budget. Uh, You know, usually most of the legislation that passes in the course of a, of a session happens all in that executive budget, you know, uh, the big ugly that they call. And it didn't happen. There was negotiations. They got kind of close. What I heard was that it started to break down at the point where they wanted to build in a county-by-county county opt-out provision so that a county could say, we're not going to sell recreational here because maybe we have a religious community that's really strong or maybe there's some other factor. But once they wanted to build that in, they started going county to county now and getting you know an idea of which counties would opt out. And I heard that Rockland County did, uh, you know, that that Ed Day and that I was hearing a lot of noise that they did want to opt out. We had the, you know, religious communities that piped in and we had, I think it was like the Sheriff's Association. It also weighed in on that and was against it. They're talking about gateway drugs and driving while impaired. And, you know, they're looking at all the cons instead of looking at all the positives. So that could be something. They say legalization is dead for this session. But it'll definitely be back next year. Um, it might actually be back this session, which is, which is I think, closing by summertime. But it's possible, especially if New Jersey revives it, because, you know, New York and New Jersey, like, people are all going to be like, Woof, they're all going to go to New Jersey. <laughs> and and New York's going to figure right, out they're right. losing and some they're revenue. Driving back. <laughs> there is some revenue involved. And then I also heard some in- very interesting stuff about if Rockland was to become a manufacturing point right and, or even farming even farming because of our proximity to the city it might be one of those places where they uh, do packaging and you know they take the the product and they turn it into the sellable form so they were saying that Rockland would be a great place for that you know because of uh, where we're located you know they call it the gateway to upstate you know whatever but sure. I don't know where you stand so uh, where sure so where I stand uh, this has been an issue that I've, I've thought about uh, I think it's a generational issue mm-hmm. I think you know again not to beat the horse it's uh, representation right if you mm-hmm. have a board that looks very monolithic probably all part of the same generation it doesn't surprise me that uh, and I'm talking about county government also, it's not representative of the young people or the diversity of uh, individuals that live within the county. But uh, decriminalization, I think, is an ideal way to handle it. I think at the very least, decriminalizing marijuana use is uh, is the first start. Yeah, I mean, putting people into jail after it, what we know now. Yeah, it's, you're <laughs> talking about black and brown families that have been torn apart because drug laws that just were at odds with reality and just didn't make sense. People use it to propel their careers, um, to support industry. And um, I think we really need to really think about those issues in a very nuanced way. So I think decriminalization is where we can start. And I think we can look locally. We're talking about Rockland County, Clarkstown, the district attorney race. I think the district attorney and how uh, he or she decides to enforce right. laws will be the first and I think most important step because we're talking about people's lives here. Yeah. If people are going to jail and they're receiving sentences that are disproportionate with the nature of the alleged crime or behavior, then uh, we, we... So I encourage everyone to 
pay a lot of attention to the district attorney race. Find that candidate who really understands the issue and, uh, and vote your conscience. Now, with regards to legalization and the opportunity for uh, Clarkstown and Rockland County to really find there a foothold, be, I, be a I think it makes a lot of sense, and I think it's a great idea, something that I, that I thought could be a very good job creator within Rockland County. Um, I think there is a, uh, a dispensary in Blauvelt, a medical dispensary. Medical, At least they're yeah. thinking about doing it. Yeah. So it's definitely something that if I was on the town council, I have no reservations about saying I certainly would support uh, any legislation. And I, would, and I will speak uh, and I will vocalize my support for... Uh, legalization, at the very least, decriminalization of marijuana, because we just got to get with the times. You know, this is a drug that is no more harmless, and it's actually a lot less harmful than alcohol, which people consume regularly. It's very apparent. <laughs> Cigarettes, even. It's, you know, I always say, it's a mess. I, I always say, you know, when somebody's swerving on the road, right, you could tell they're like been drinking, right? It's very, very dangerous. Right, if they're high, they probably just missed their exit. You know, yeah, <laughs> they're probably driving really slow. Like that's a very good driver. Right, 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 right. <laughs> you know, it's not. It's it's. I mean, and and we shouldn't joke because you know, if if somebody does get into an accident and they are impaired, that's going to nullify their insurance. You know, if you're listening to this, do not do not do it. But you know, but David Carlucci says all the time. The reality is is that people are doing this every day. Hopefully, you know, people just, you know, are safe and careful and avoid that kind of thing. But yes, compared to drinking, I mean, you know, living in the suburbs, how can somebody go to a bar, have like more than two drinks and drive home? I mean, it's like ridiculous. So, you know, maybe, maybe there'll be, this will eventually become uh, more socially acceptable than it has been. It's been a schedule one federal offense for all this time. And it's been a perfect excuse to to zero in on on, on communities, communities that that law enforcement just happens to want to spend their time arresting sure. you know and that, and I think that's really what we're talking about the issue is about I think a lot of people who haven't shown the courage to understand the simple cost benefit analysis I'm not suggesting that anyone should go out there smoke weed and you know operate any machine right, right. car oh, <laughs> a backhoe yeah, yeah. or anything but the reality is uh, when you look at the numbers when you look at the deaths, the injuries, when you look at everything in the totality, then we look at the incarceration rates, we look at the uh, the over-aggressive policing in communities that are disproportionately black and brown, low income, and we look at the statistics around usage based on race, no one can come with a straight face and say, when you look at all those factors that decriminalization and legalization is something that everyone shouldn't vote for. Right. So with that being said, I think the lack of courage that's being shown in the legislature, local towns within the county, it's in and around the fact that these particular policies have created industries. They've yeah. created jobs. I remember hearing one time not too long ago when someone said, uh, should we tone down the policing? They would say, take some people who have nonviolent offenses and take them out of jail. They're like, so what are the people that work at the jails going to do? And that's the mindset. It really... Solar panels. It, yeah, <laughs> that, that's what I should have said to him. I was more taken <laughs> aback that 
when we're talking about people's lives right. and the tolls right. that, they take, right. really? that their first thought was, <laughs> oh, what are we going to do about the guy. the guy who's losing their job? And I wish I had the mental clarity to say, let's give this guy a solar panel job, but that's exactly what we're talking about. Well, we're laughing about it. look like they take a few people to put on <laughs> <laughs> We're laughing about it, but that's the kind of discussion that our politicians need right. to be having. It's like, if we do decriminalize this, if we stop going after these communities, we are probably going to see a drop. And, and a lot of the arrests, the yeah. revenue that comes through ticketing and the court fees. We're thinking about excessive bail and some of the issues that are tangential to this. Mm-hmm. Then while talking about that in the same breath, we bring up sustainability. We're going to need people to put up these solar panels to educate people. These are the type right. of discussions that need to happen. And I think if we have a representative government that represented the diversity of the community, uh, the beautiful community that we live in, I think... We would be having discussions just like this, laughing about it, then doing some good work and providing value for the people. So, If I was a young person, I would probably just buy a van or some ladders, get a solar installation company going, I mean, or, or home retrofit. You have so much business because it's not like a gamble. You know, when, when they invest, in, when they have these like uh, business councils and they invest in a casino, or even if they invest in like, you know, a new startup, there's no guarantee that it's going to pan out. But this is something that's guaranteed because if it's producing energy and you know how much energy it's producing, it's still only a matter of time till you get to that break-even point and then everything after that is the gravy, right? It's just a complete no-brainer. It's a it's like a 100% guaranteed benefit. You know, you just have to look at the you know the time span involved. Uh, right here in Clarkstown, every uh, town building, you know, that's flat. Yes, why didn't we do this a long time ago? That's what I'm asking, right? Because the town owns the building and it's just sitting there, right, getting beaten down by the sun right now. We got to go paint it every once in a while. Like, instead, we could be collecting energy, clean energy. Like, but there have been forces opposing this. You know, it's been the other energy utilities and all that. And, you know, they can direct their term gains campaign money and they can you know they can influence people to make sure that they don't get rid of the old power plant right and you know the the gas plant or the coal you know when you think about that like what we know now about science and greenhouse gases and that yeah these guys just want all they care about is their own personal pocketbook right now and like you know don't they have grandchildren too like are you are you planning on having your grandchildren breathe it's (laughs) it's the short term it's like the short term mentality right it's right. kind of it's almost the definition of like, kind of like this generation like that generation from like 1980 to about 2010 I guess when people started getting woke right um, it was all about short-term gains and I was an economics major mm-hmm. so I, I one of the courses I took was in corporate governance mm-hmm. and they talked about um, like stockholders right you know uh, any CEO any corporate board uh, and when you have a goal of maximizing stockholder return, inevitably your sites are set on quarterly, right. very short term. It's right. always short term, and right. that's not good governance no. for a company. Right. You know, maybe if you want to inflate stock prices and kind of play voodoo economics. But as far as sustainable growth, like when you think of how you organize your bills for your family, we don't think, at least my family, and I imagine all the other families that may be listening or are sitting around their tables right now having dinner, they're not thinking, all right, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do just this week? They're thinking, okay, 
uh, I got to make sure I have a little money for the mortgage that's going to come due in a month. Uh, I know I got college. The car is going to need some new tires, so I got to make sure I start putting money. Because you got to have a plan and you got to budget. And I think uh, a lot of what ails us is that short-term mindset. Politicians who think, okay, let me spend down the reserve fund in Clarkstown. That way I don't have to raise taxes. Because I know in two years, when the reserve fund is not there, I'll be out of office. Right. See, then, problem solved. <laughs> then the voters are like, yeah, my taxes didn't go up. Right. But then when the guy is out of office, the new guy comes in with a big smile and a lot of nice ideas. And they're like, the facing where's, the, where's the reserve fund? And, and the other guy is on to another position yeah. with another new story and a new set of lies to sell that group of people. Right. So we have to give voters information. We have to meet the darkness with light. We have to give them transparency. we got to talk about long-term issues. We can't be afraid to invest in the future. And a lot of what probably prevented those solar panels from going on the roof. A lot of what prevented us from addressing the obvious elephants in the room was that short-term mentality that was shared by all too many politicians. And I'm, and I'm sorry to say, probably on both sides, maybe one side more than other. You know, that's what the national yeah. has showed us. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it's, it's okay to invest in the future. That's how this country really was built. Like when you think of the golden age of the 50s, mm-hmm. everyone coming back from the war, uh, we invested the GI Bill. We basically told people, hey, we're investing in you. And then it paid dividends. We Up until the 80s where we sapped everything, <laughs> right. everything out. Uh, in that golden era, they had uh, free college down in CUNY and also uh, USC. And they had high marginal tax rates, too. they just exactly what um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is talking about bringing back. And the rich got richer. They just didn't take all the money from everybody else. I mean, the, they got richer because they, they built their businesses up. Right. And it wasn't that short term like mentality, like the CEO is paid in stock. So all he wants to do is pump up that stock and get the hell out of there, leave everybody holding the bag. Let's wrap up. But just so people get to know you a little bit, um, family man, uh, kids. Sure, absolutely. So I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Nicole. She's been with me uh, since I was 15 or 16. (laughs) And uh, we have two beautiful kids. They attend the uh, Valley Cottage Public Schools, Clarkstown Public Schools, uh, 10 and 5 years old. I coach my son's baseball and basketball team. We're 3-0 this year. The baseball team's doing well despite (laughs) my running. So we got a great set of coaches and uh, very active in the community. Mm -hmm. Regularly attend events both in the village of Nyack and in Clarkstown. And you see, folks, the, these these nice suburban schools is where it's at, right? Abs- absolutely. You know, Central Nyack, you know, I, I personally think it is uh, the jewel of Rockland County. Uh, we have beautiful parks. We have Buttermilk Falls, which is a nice waterfall with a nice hiking trail. I'm not suggesting for him. You know, <laughs> people leave their doors open. Right. Oh, boy. <laughs> um, uh, neighbors know each other. Right. It's just a wonderful place to live, and, and I don't want that which caused me to fall in love with this place to kind of disappear. Because not to really go into too much, what what we have really is a deficiency in trust. Also, leadership, trust. Uh, People don't trust their institutions anymore. Uh, They don't trust government. Look at the measles. They don't trust doctors, really. And soon enough, we're not really trusting each other. Yeah. So hyper-partisan. Yeah. And... The media inflames and is constantly flaming up those flames. But in a place like Clarkstown, I don't think we're at that point yet. But we have to make sure we fight to preserve that civility. We have to 
fight to preserve that sense of community that we're all really pulling for the same thing because uh, you started talking about education early on. Education really is the golden ticket. Bedrock. Right? It's, it's the bedrock of our society. That's why um, there's some issues that we didn't talk, touch on today, but I feel very strongly about. We have to make sure you preserve that institution, that public institution of education, because that's the one equalizer. I come from a family, a uh, single mom, came here from Haiti. She uh, sacrificed so much, worked odd jobs, where if she was in Haiti, she would have been living a much better life. But she thought there was something here in this country that showed so much promise that she was willing to lower herself and accept lesser positions so that I could have that. And I probably am the last generation who really had that opportunity to have a quality education school that was pricey but still quasi attainable Mm -hmm. Um, and we got to make sure collectively regardless of your party affiliation that we support public schools and we and and we support more importantly the right for every kid regardless of race religion income to have uh, the ability to go to any school that that individual is capable of attending based on merit and the work that they're willing to put in. And I, and I think schools, 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 we always have to make sure no matter what we're yelling at each other about, we always uh, keep the clarity uh, with that one equalizer, which is education. So. Great. Oh, great. Oh, it's music to my ears. You know, on this show, we report regularly about uh, the campaign for fiscal equity, mm-hmm. the, the school funding, particularly for needy schools. We also talk about the waste and fraud that we see in some of these corporate privatization schemes you know you heard me talking earlier about standardized testing and then you know there's also charter schools which we don't have here but you know when we have them in the same state it does divert resources for example in the last executive budget that budget deal uh, they did increase money for charter schools and that doesn't benefit us here at all but that was you know part of the whole give and take so education yeah we have to be wary you know be involved in your school you know maybe go to a school board meeting definitely vote for your school budgets and everything and you know just make sure they know somebody's watching somebody's looking so great this is really good meeting you likewise i am endorsing officially thank you Shenley, and uh i i did carry petitions for you um i only oh, got a great. i only got a page because it was that's awesome cold <laughs> winter <laughs> and i had a lot going on i do this and yeah, um well, but um we hope you win the best of luck and you know i think if there was maybe some uh, progress made towards turning the tide democrat republican right i think that would be felt and heard and that would mean a lot more clarkstown has a full slate this year you know, sometimes there was not even a competitive race. And so now in all four wards are up this November, right? Is that right? That's right. Okay. And the supervisor as well? That's right. We have uh, Nicole Doliner. Right. She's running for uh, supervisor. Mm -hmm. We also have Dan Garcia, Patrick Carroll, uh, myself, Mm Shenley Vital. And Ricky Sanchez. Oh, right. Ricky that is Sanchez. our slate of right. uh, four candidates that we hope to help usher in a new Clarkstown, a new direction. Um, and we hope that you all get out there, vote in the primaries, vote in the election in November, and uh, you know, be that change that you want to see. The first step is going out there, learning about your candidates, and making an informed decision. Right. But there, there's not going to be any primaries on the town level, right? At the town level, I believe Dan Garcia, I believe... Oh. I believe he does have a primary. Uh, I do not 
Fortunately, I have a primary, but I will need your vote in November. Nicole Doner, great candidate. Yes. She is going to be in a primary on June 25th. Please go out and support her. The, the top of the ticket is so important. Yeah. It really sets the agenda. It sets the tone. If we're going to usher in a new Clarkstown, we need to make sure that at the very top, we have the right person with the right vision. And I can tell you firsthand, uh, Nicole, she is a rock star. She cares about the future. She cares about the now. She cares about a greener and better Clarkstown, bringing sustainable jobs, development, and growth to Clarkstown. So please go out there on June 25th. Quick plug for Nicole. Yes. We interviewed her here. We're pulling for her, too. So that's Tuesday, June 25th. There's going to be a couple of names on on a primary, and then we're coming back in November for the, the big general election. Thanks so much for popping by. It was, we want to thank you for tuning in. If you want to hear archives of the show, you can go to our Facebook page, nyupdate.org. It'll bring you right there. We're on Twitter at UpdateNY, and we will be back here next Tuesday at 7 p.m. Thanks to Richard and RockandRollRadio.com. This is Jake Jacobs signing off. It's not just radio. It's Rockland World Radio. Rockland World Radio dot com. <laughs>